Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the sun gets set to shine. Mary, the guy heard. Here's the jump shot. Comes to Marley. A long three. He got it. He got it. Into Booker. Here's the three. Suzanne! Sir Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, slam. Bravo time. He got it. Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less, a podcast about the Phoenix Suns and the NBA. My name is Max McCauley, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, it's been a little bit. How you doing, my friend? It's been a little while. Happy New Year to you and all the listeners, Max. And yeah, apologies to all the listeners for taking so long for episode 73. But I think we both love doing mailbags, and they've, they've come through in the clutch for us. So I'm excited for this one. Yeah, I guess our time off will let our listeners just think up a lot of questions. It's great. Uh, we really appreciate it as always. You guys sending these in. They're awesome. We can't wait to answer them. Uh, before we get there, David, how about a recap of what's uh, happened while we've been gone for so long? Let's do it. The Phoenix Suns at this point in time, Max, are 14-21 and 21 after 35 games in the NBA with a game versus Memphis coming today, probably by the time most people have listened to this episode. But as you said, a lot has happened. Seven games have been played since the last time we recorded, and the Suns snapped a losing streak of eight games in a row. Uh, They got pretty lucky with the Rubio injury, which I got very mad online about. Uh, The Frank (laughs) injury just got announced as well, actually, which I think we should... We haven't done a lot of news in this section, but it's definitely news. An indefinite uh, time away from the team with a patella stress fracture, which does not sound good at all, Max. And the games we missed really quickly, there was a loss to Houston, uh, which people probably have forgotten about by now. It was that long ago. 125 to 139. Lost to Denver, close one, 111-113. Lost to Golden State, 96-105. And then we broke the streak with the win over Sacramento, 112-110. Quick sidebar, how were you feeling during the the eight-game losing streak, because you were kind of offline at the, at the same time that this was happening, Max. Yeah, the Golden State one, was uh, that was demoralizing, David. I'm not going to lie. That was a tough one to watch. I don't think any Suns fans enjoyed that game. <laughs> yeah, I very much agree with you on that. Uh, but more recent results this week, there was the 122-116 win over Portland, uh, the 107-117 loss to the Lakers, and, of course, the last game played 120 to 112 over the New York Knicks. Booker had 38, Uber had Ubre had 29, Baines had 20, 8 and 15, Rubio 9, and what did the bench have as a complete total max? 9 points in that game. Mm. So the starters did it all, but as of right now we are third in the division, one and a half games ahead of Sacramento and 10 games behind the Clippers, 10th in the conference, half a game behind Memphis. Uh, Sorry, half a game in front of Memphis and half a game behind the Spurs and Portland. And 18th in the NBA, just ahead of Charlotte and just behind the Spurs again, as I mentioned. 
Sweet. Thank you very much, David. One thing I do want to mention, you mentioned that Houston game. Uh, I can't get over that hard and foul, or not the foul, the the, the, the fake throw the ball in the air and get the continuation thing. <laughs> that, was, I, uh, <laughs> that was so long ago that I've, I've totally forgotten it. But yeah, that was uh, that was peak James Harden on the internet that, that day. That's for sure. I literally just can't get over it, man. <laughs> I think about it like every morning. It's horrible. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and get into our leaderboard. We've missed the past uh, couple games. So yep. I think we're going to do this combined, right? Yeah, these I th- games. yeah, I think we'll just get ours out of the way. I was just going to mention to the listeners, you know, and say sorry again for getting a little out of sorts. We had a lot of people still sending us our votes, which I thank them for very much. But just as a reminder, week eight was Minnesota, Memphis, and the Spurs, which most people got to us on that one. Week nine was where we started to get a little out of touch with the Portland Clippers and OKC games. And then, yeah, we're going to treat week 10 as everything that I just rattled off in the recap, Houston all the way to the New York Knicks. And But don't stress, guys, if you, if you haven't got them through or you sent votes for different games, I've logged everything. Uh, and at the moment, Booker is well ahead on top in front of Ubre, Rubio, Baines, Dario, and Frank, with DeAndre Ayton at the very bottom of the leaderboard of guys who have got votes so far. But yeah, Houston, Denver, Golden State, Sacramento, Portland, the Lakers, and the Knicks are the games that we missed, Max. So let's rattle off our five votes just to get this thing back on track. Yeah, absolutely. I'll start at number five. I don't think this is going to be controversial. I think he's going to extend his lead on the leaderboard so far, David. It's <laughs> Devin Booker. Yep, 28.5 points over that seven-game stretch I looked up on 48 Point six shooting, and we'll get into him a little bit later, but he has been on one hell of a hot streak, Max, so uh, definitely uh, deserves five votes for this little stretch, I think. He's been on a hot streak, and he's been making EJ, uh, Ernie Johnson, have a hot streak with all this mid-range <laughs> scoring, man. I think he, he can't get over it. He's like, oh man, he is founding himself. Uh, Four-star, I think this one's pretty easy too, David. This guy has been unbelievably hot lately, our best three-point shooter lately. It's Kelly O'Reilly. Ubre over those 77 games, I should say. Sorry, Max. 55 from the field, 45 from three, and 75 from the free throw line. He has been hot. I wish he were doing that over 70 games, David. That'd be pretty awesome. He'd be an all-star. <laughs> he would definitely be an all-star. And there's been a few people in my mentions talking about, you know, he's kind of on the, the cusp of being an all-star this year. He definitely won't get it, but maybe that'll come up a bit later as well, Max. If the Suns were like, instead of uh, what, 14 21, 21 14, maybe they'd be considered an consideration for two All Stars, but you don't get two when, you're, uh, when you have our record. Exactly. Uh, three stars. I'm going to go with the man who almost caused you to have a conniption on Twitter, David. It's Ricky Rubio. <laughs> 14 and 8. He's just been Mr. Consistent, other than a little bit of streaky shooting. But over this seven games, 48 from the field, 36% from three, and 80 from the free throw line, where he's always pretty reliable. So, yep. I am very much in agreement with you there with the three votes. Next, it's uh, DeAndre Ayton's uh, front court partner uh, for me. It's, it's, it's uh, Aaron Baines. Yeah, it gets a little tricky towards the end here, but I think the guys were pretty obvious. I started to kind of put an emphasis on the, the three wins over these seven games, and Aaron mm. Baines had 17, 12, and 20 in the three wins points-wise, and I think that's where he was like the most impactful. And, and as you said, the front court partner at the moment for the next guy that I've got at one votes, which I'm not sure whether you agree on that or not, Max. I do. DeAndre Ayton, who we'll get into, but has had a really interesting uh, start to his second season, I would say. Yep. I have him there, too. Yeah, I think he only played three games, uh, you know, had 12 and 13. 
uh, in those games, but was pretty big in the two wins, as I said, and that's what I really started to prioritize down the, the bottom here. But in terms of guys missing out, there wasn't a lot at the bottom when you looked over the, the seven-game stretch, which surprised me a little bit because I thought a few guys stepped up over time, but I guess it, there wasn't a lot of consistency. But you know, what did you think about Mikhail? Because he was probably the, the only one that was, I guess, unlucky to miss out here because I thought he's been pretty good recently. What, what's your thoughts on him, Max? I did think about him. I think defensively, he's definitely been useful. He's been, at times, the Suns' only good defensive player yep. in some of these games. Um, but, man, for me, it's just the offense is bringing him down so much. He just gets so lost out there sometimes. It's hard. Like, you know, you brought the bench points uh, against the Knicks. I mean, that, you know, he's largely the guy who needs to be carrying the bench in that in that regard. And he's just not really there yet. Yeah, he uh, highlighted earlier in the week. Again, something you might have missed, Max, but Ricky Rubio for him has been incredible. His shooting percentages... Mm-hmm and the amount of assists that he gets off Ricky Rubio. So maybe Monty can plug him in with Ricky a little bit more because that's where his offense starts to really get going. But surprisingly, was a plus 5.9 over this seven-game stretch, which was a team high. So yeah, defense, he's, he's definitely really holding up his end of the bargain, Max. Yeah, maybe we're underrating him by not having him on the board. Maybe he deserves to be there based on the defense alone. But, you know, like you said, I think the Rubio stat's really good. It highlights the fact that really the only thing that Mikel's good at in offense right now is cutting. <laughs> yeah. uh, he doesn't really do anything else. So, yeah, it's, it's imperative to have Ricky Rubio who can actually find him on cuts. Yeah, very much agree. So just to recap for the listeners, Week 11 will probably be the Memphis game from today, Sacramento and Orlando. If you still want to send anything through, if you've missed week eight, week nine, or week 10, whatever the games are, send them through and I'll definitely log them, but I won't be chasing people up this week and we'll get back on track and then I'll start chasing people up for votes uh, in the coming weeks, Max. All right, let's get into our mailbag. We're going to start with a little bit on Booker, uh, move to Aiton, and then it's going to get a little more random, I think. Yes. Uh, First at Conan Vegas, what has been the impetus for Devin Booker's current tear through the league, David? Did the offense change? I don't think the offense changed, Max. I don't know. I'm interested to know what you think about this, but I guess just to start with his tear through the league, the last five games, 33.8 points from... Uh, Devon, seven assists, 9.4 free throw attempts, which is one that has really gone up and spiked, uh, as well as the points, obviously, in this. 52 from the field, 91.5 from the free throw line, which is pretty consistent. What do you reckon he's shooting from three in that stretch, Max? Five games. Oh, in the stretch? Oh, Jesus. I mean, it, it's really, really bad. What, the 20%? Yeah, it's actually not as bad as I thought it was going to be. 22%, which is okay. not good, but amazing that he's uh, scoring 33 Point eight points per game with that kind of a, a stretch. But, you know, I preached this in a, a few episodes uh, leading up to this one when we were talking about fans kind of getting frustrated. It it takes time. I think that's the biggest change here, Max. I, I don't think I've noticed much from a scheme point of view, uh, maybe a little bit to, in terms of rotation with splitting Ricky and Devin out a little bit more. But uh, what have you seen? What do you think? I, I think it's just been them getting more comfortable together. Yeah, I think he is getting more comfortable in his scoring for sure. And it's been largely because he's shooting the three-pointer for his game. I mean, you know, it's the most efficient shot in basketball. I don't think it's a good thing overall, especially long-term. But I think Booker was kind of in his own head over his three-point shooting. At least it seemed like to me. Yeah, uh, He was in his own head over a lot of things. I think that this team getting healthier around him helps. 
uh, we mentioned, you know, it's it's going to help Booker's efficiency overall and his, and his scoring, just have better teammates around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're seeing that. Although, as Alessandro Cozy likes to uh, point out on Twitter, CBs aren't that good because he still leads the league in potential assists. Exactly. Uh, and you're yep. close to leading him in, in normal assists because he creates a lot of three-pointers that his, teams aren't, uh, his teammates aren't making. So that part's tough. But, yeah, no, I don't think the offense overall changed. I don't think the schemes have changed. I think Booker is just – you know, a little more. He's getting inside a little more. I think it accounts for the free throw rate going up. I think he's just he's just looking to score more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it weighs around the basket. I think that's really what's been the impetus. Yeah, and I think Rubio is quite high on that potential assists uh, yeah. mark too. So it's don't just point to Ricky Rubio missing some uh, Devin Booker passes. I think it's yeah, it's their other teammates because you know I wanted to point that out. I think ultimately the numbers are still better for Devin with Rookie Rubio on the court in terms of overall efficiency and, and what he's producing. So don't uh, you know lean too much into the fact that it's them being splitting themselves out from each other. I just wanted to note that because I think the coaches have done a good job just getting Devin a little bit more in the flow, giving him the ball uh, in his hands a little bit more. I think uh, Dom on Twitter pointed out that in this five-game stretch, his touches have, have gone through the roof. Uh, which why wouldn't they mm-hmm. when you when you're scoring as much as he has? But you know, I just think that they're creating a little bit more uncertainty for the other teams by splitting them out a little bit more. But ultimately, I think um, you know they're, they're still very very good together and have you know they've worked it out. And as I said, you know it takes time. Uh, they don't get a lot of time in the preseason to do these things together. So uh, what are we? Thirty five games into the season, and they they maybe hopefully fingers crossed have have kind of found their groove together. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll also point out before we move on the obvious, which is that he's probably just getting healthier. Mm-hmm. He obviously missed those three games and his forearm seemed to be bothering him when he first got back. But it seems like that's now gone. Uh, he looks extremely healthy out there. So I think, good times ahead for Devin Booker. I think the other obvious is that Aiton is probably going to be pretty huge yeah. for him too. You know, I've seen some stuff just in terms of gravity and, and Aiton's screen setting, which we'll probably get into when we get into Aiton's section. But, you know, there are parts of Aiton's game where he is just the polar opposite to what we saw from him last year. So, you know, I've got an opinion on this. I'm interested in what yours is with Rubio, Booker, and Aiton, but where are we trending in terms of best closing lineup? Uh, Not necessarily that you need a bucket to win the game or anything, but just a a five-man combo for the last five minutes of the game that you want to go with. Yeah, I, we may have the same answer here. I think I'm turning towards uh, Rubio, Booker, Mikel, Oubre, and Aiton. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the obvious one. I was just really intrigued to know whether you kind of went, maybe would go with Cam or something like that over Mikel. I think I'm a, l- a little higher on me or have a little bit more trust in Mikel than most people in, in situations like this. But yeah, it, it's a it probably lacks a little bit of shooting, but it, it's just, a, um, I guess, a, a lineup that I'm the most comfortable with in terms of offense and defense down the stretch. Yeah, I think at the end of games, a lot of it's just going to be Booker trying to make his own thing happen anyway. Uh, maybe you get the Booker eight and pick and roll going. And, and the other thing also, I would I would say, uh, the Booker eight and pick and roll. If you, if that gets going pretty well, then maybe you take Rubio out at the end of some games and throw in Cam, and just have those two sort of run the offense with the uh, three wings around them. That could be interesting. Yeah, and they kind of did it in one of the games. It's kind of missing me. Maybe it was the last. Uh, one before the Knicks, maybe the Portland game. I, I can't remember. But, you know, Rubio didn't come back until about two minutes to go. They they kind of let Booker go for a mm-hmm. little while and they were really leaning on that. So, yeah, that's an interesting one. But we should go to our next two questions here, which uh, 
dovetail quite nicely off the conversation that we just had. Cody Hunt uh, asked, how many three-point attempts do you think Devin Booker should take per game? And Bryce Grove said, why do you think there has been a recent dip in Booker's three-point shooting, and do you think it is a bad thing? Max, I'll let you go first on this one. Uh, well, it's definitely not a good thing. <laughs> I'll say that. Uh, I don't think that. I, I mean, I know Chris Hansen has pretty much decided that Booker's never going to be a three-point shooter. Uh, I'm not going to go quite that far. I, I think he's in his own head over it. Like, it, it really looks like when he's shooting those things that he's thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, every single time, and that's just not the case when he's in the mid range. It's just it's just natural for him. Not really sure what's going on there. It's odd. Um, but you know, I, I'm not too concerned about it as I'll show with my next answer to Cody Hunt's question, which is, I don't know, 10 or 11, probably yep. a lot more than he's taking now. Uh, I think a lot of this is like, you just, you just got to shoot through it, Devin. Like just keep shooting. I know if you miss a couple, it's fine. Just, just, you know, just keep shooting. You only need to make 40% of these to, for them to be amazing shots. Yeah. And you only need to make like 35% of these for it to be an important shot, especially if the ones he's taking are sort of the game-breaking ones that create the spacing. Mm -hmm. uh, you got to take those shots. It opens up the offense for everybody else. The offense is... I, I think we saw it in the first half of the Knicks game. Uh, the offense was terrible. and not, I mean, on large part, they only took nine threes and missed them all. Uh, you, you can't not make threes in the modern NBA. It's kind of what it's all built on now, which... Separate conversation. I don't know if we'll get into this or not, David, but I'm kind of just mad at the modern NBA right now. I think this, this game is turning into a three-point contest, and it's kind of annoying. Yeah. But, uh, but I mean, you know, you got to play by the rules of the game, and I think Devin Booker's got to ramp up the three-pointer attempts. What do you think? Yeah, I think the wrist injury definitely has something in play here. Mm -hmm. I think 100% is a factor in the recent dip uh, in him just not being comfortable shooting them, um, which is odd when you see how well he's shooting them from the mid-range. But, you know, we didn't get a lot of clarity on that injury, and, you know, it definitely looked like the kind of thing... Uh, that, you know, the longer the shot, uh, the more uncomfortable he is at the moment, uh, you know, with whatever was bothering there in the in the shooting hand. So, you know, I'm not seeing too much scheme-wise or anything other than him just being a little bit apprehensive on taking those threes, as you said, and, and thinking about it a little bit too much. But, you know, I'd be more concerned uh, if he didn't just have 38, 32, 33, 32, and 34 <laughs> on 52% shooting max. But, uh, you know, that's probably going to dry up a little bit, and that's where your argument about, you know, the better shot being the 3 point shot really comes into it. I looked at, uh, you know, him by month. He had 6.2 in the, the few games in October, 4.8 in November, 5.1 in December, and then has dropped down to just four in January. So it's probably never been up around where it should be or needs to be. You and I probably differ, I guess, a little bit. I'd like to see him get up around the, you know, seven or eight range, I think. Uh, you know, interestingly, mm -hmm. I, I think this really kind of shows it is, the league leaders are, you know, Harden with 13 and a half, Buddy Heald with 10, Trey with nine and a half, Dame with uh, 9.4, uh, Devontae Graham, who we've talked about with 9.4, <laughs> uh, Luca as well, PG as well with 9.4, and then you get D'Lo and Kemba in the low nines. You know, I think he's probably more the type of player, uh, you know, Beal's at 8.1, Levine's at 7.9, CJ's at 7, Redick at 7. Uh, and Tim Hardaway Jr. at seven as well. That's the kind of range that I see him in rather than that real kind of ultra-volume guys like Harden uh, and, and Trey Young and Dame. So, you know, we probably differ just slightly on that, just, you know, how much I see he's doing well in the mid-range. I'm fine with that. Uh, but he needs to get up from four or five, which he's kind of been consistently this year, I think. Yeah, I'm not even necessarily saying I think this year it needs to happen right now if yeah. he's not comfortable doing it. But I think long-term first projection, I think this just got to be where he's at. I mean, he's shooting 91.5% from the free throw line. 
David. That's an, he's an incredible shooter. That's and generally over time, free throw percentage tends to be more indicative of your true shooting ability mm-hmm. than your three point percentage because yep. three points they just, it just fluctuates. Uh, I know the guy's a great shooter. We all know he's a great shooter. Uh, there's something going on with him in games for whatever reason. But I think that uh, long term, that can't be what holds him back from really developing the skill that in the modern NBA is the most is the most important skill for a perimeter player. Being able to kind of bend the defense with the you know the game breaking off, especially off the off the dribble sort of three point ability, that is the key 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 skill. It's why Trey is so good. It's why James Harden is so good. And I think Devin Booker is going to need that to uh, become one of the you know if he's trying to be one of the best five offensive players in the league, for example. I think he needs that. Yeah, and if if that forty percent even on you know five attempts that we were getting earlier in the year comes back with what yeah. we're seeing at the moment, like look out, that's that's MVP candidate type stuff on the offensive end because uh, you know he's already doing this little streak without threes pretty much entirely. So you know he starts being a dangerous guy from there. Everything else opens up, and and that's why it's so important as well that he at least takes them because he needs to uh, open up because he's not going to be this hot forever. I don't think Max. No, he's not. The one nice thing is that defenders uh, still respect his three no matter what. So mm-hmm. he does still create spacing. So at least he's not losing that. Yeah. While he goes to the mid range. Uh, you ready to move on to Aiton? Uh, definitely. I'm excited. Oh. Me too. This is going to be interesting. So we're going to read the first three together as they're all kind of similar. Yeah. Uh, and I think they're the most interesting thing about Aiton. Uh, first, at Try Not KMS, how is Aiton's small sample size, great defensive development, make you feel about his improvement overall in comparison to preseason expectations? At Zen NBA, Aiton leads the NBA in field goal defense in every zone. That's, you know, near the basket, mid-range, blah, blah, blah. Uh, which, if any of them are sustainable, and if not, where does he end up in uh, at the end of the year in each of these categories? Should he be focusing on the, you know, overall or on the uh, within six feet? That's a long one, but we'll break that one down as we go through. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Daniel Jordan, my friend, with Aiton's improvement on D, albeit small sample size, what is his floor ceiling, in your opinion? Saw some people comp him to a more athletic Marcus Saul. I guess that was Shani Fry who said that. It was, yeah. uh, Let's start... David, with uh, just sort of, you know, his defensive development, what we've seen so far, and then we can move on to the, the compilator. So what do you think? Yeah, I think he has, uh, you know, he's shown it. If, you, if you're watching the games, uh, you don't need to go in like, I guess, Zin did in terms of uh, breaking it down zone by zone. All that uh, That is very interesting at the moment, albeit, as he said, a very, very small sample size. So I'm probably not going to put too much emphasis on that just yet, particularly because I lean towards, you know, defensive stats not being great anyway in terms of great indicators. I kind of trust my eye more on this. But the good news on that, Max, is trusting my eye uh, has been very good as well for DeAndre Ayton. He has been uh, every bit as good of what I hoped, I suppose, in terms of the defensive end. Uh, You know, obviously putting him in with Baines, uh, his switchability, uh, is one thing that stands out. But before that, when he was, you know, just playing all of his center minutes and played a lot of center minutes in that game where he started with Baines as well, uh, you know, his general containment of the ball handler, uh, his overall reads, he's probably always going to struggle in terms of weak side help and, and that extra rotation. But uh, the the action coming at him, he's elite as far as I'm seeing, you know, and it's really just going to be coming down to his overall engagement uh, and using the tools that he's had that I've always kind of noted of why I was high on him defensively. I think that's where he's really going to have an impact on that end. And we're seeing it with more block shots. You know, he had a big one against the Knicks helping out on on Devin Booker. Um, You know, his overall containment, as I said, of the ball handler is probably the most encouraging thing in the few games that we've seen from him so far. He's not an easy guy to finish over, uh, I guess, as the numbers are bearing out with with Zin's stats there, Max. 
Yeah, I will start by saying there is no doubt he looks better on defense this season. It's 100% true. Yep. There's no, you can't even argue with that right now. Uh, I, I saw another another Alley shout out and laughing about how JJJ is the better offensive player, the worst <laughs> defensive player than Aiden yeah. right now, which is not what we would expect. It. Um, but so I, I will say though, I just want to go on sort of those small sample size stats. I, I would not expect all that stuff to continue. Yeah, I agree. Uh, especially the three point shooting. I, I was just looking at the clean the glass stats. He's 100 percentile, best in the NBA at making uh, corner three percentage go down <laughs> and all three percentage go down. Yeah. I don't think that's probably mainly because of him. I think that's probably some shooting luck. Mm-hmm. Um, also, one thing that's a little concerning is that uh, actually no, this is actually no, this is the thing that's really good about him is uh, rim frequency is going way down when he's on the court. Yep. Uh, offensive the other team's rim frequency, which is really what you want to see. Like, that's almost the most important thing with big defense is just deterring shots around the rim. So yep. I mean, again, small sample size. Uh, it's also based on on off, and I think the Suns don't do a good job with that when he's off. But still, I, th- I think uh, it's it's really encouraging what we're seeing. Um, did I, you, I agree with you. The help side stuff isn't as good uh, as the uh, on-ball stuff. What were you going to say? Did you listen to Stephen Adams on uh, Zach Lowe's podcast yet? Have you listened to that episode, Matt? No, I missed that. What did he say? Really interesting. You know, it was a great podcast overall. I, you know, everyone loves Stephen, Stephen Adams. He was quite yeah. open and honest with Zach Lowe as well, which is great. But they talk specifically about, uh, you know, rim protection and, and block numbers. And, you know, he said he learned off Nick Collison, who is exactly not the most athletic guy <laughs> in the NBA, that, you know, you kind of want your block numbers to go down because it's kind of showing that you're doing your work before they're getting to you. So I just mm. thought that was really, really interesting from Stephen Adams as something that he noted as a young guy. He was getting happier as his block numbers were going down um, because it was kind of speaking to his footwork and his overall reading of the game and, and getting to guys as a big man uh, and kind of having that rim frequency go down because uh, guys are, are not challenging you because you're in the right spot. So just wanted to throw that in there, I, I guess, just as a you know overall block numbers not being a great indicator of defense either, which DeAndre Ayton is still not... Um, you know, kind of Mitch Robinson levels or anything like that in terms of blocks, but it doesn't always uh, say everything when it comes to defense either, Max. No, it doesn't. I will say I think you need to have more than under one block if you're a center. <laughs> yes. But I agree. I, I think if you, it, it can be a good indicator if it's at a, you know, kind of a medium level. And in fact, a lot of the best defensive players in the league, they don't have like four blocks a game a lot of times. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's, that's a good observation by uh, somebody who would know. Uh, actually, I say similarly, I think rebounding, total rebounding numbers can be overrated sometimes because boxing out is important. Yep. I think Stephen Adams probably agree with that too because he's a big time <laughs> box out over rebound guy. Yep. Um, but that's really interesting. How about the comp, David? I think the Marcus Saul thing, I, I don't really see that as much because it, Marcus Saul sort of made his you know money on just being so smart defensively. And I think he won a defensive player of the year, didn't he? Yes. He didn't, he was close. Yeah, I think... Uh, it, I don't see that at Aiton still. It's really unfair on Marcus Gasol and, and De- DeAndre Ayton too, to be honest, yeah. to, to kind of say more athletic Marcus Gasol because Gasol wasn't athletic and the, the whole reason that he... Um, you know, was so good in the NBA or is so good in the NBA is because of how smart he is and, you know, that overall IQ and and reading of the game. And that's where I don't see the comp because, you know, his reading of the next play is something that I'm not sure DeAndre Ayton is ever going to have. And and that's, you know... it's not a knock on DeAndre. I'm just that that is what it is. You know, we saw it in the LA game. Uh, you know, some of the games since he's been back, as great as he's been when the action's coming at him, he still struggles to step over and and you know help or recover uh, when the action is away from him and he's got to make those reads. So yeah, I'm not really seeing the Marcus Sol comp particularly defensively. I guess you could see you know his passing is really good. Uh, he'd probably be a decent shooter. 
uh, as time goes on, which Marcus Gasol kind of took a little bit of time and really wasn't until late in his career before he shot threes as the NBA changed, as you noted before. So some of those things offensively I get, but yeah, I think it, it just doesn't speak enough to uh, how Marcus Gasol reads the game and probably is too kind on DeAndre Ayton uh, in terms of what he's going to be able to do in the future, you know, with reading the overall game. It, I didn't really come up with a, a better comp than that, though, to be honest, which is is my mistake. But what what are your thoughts? Have you got anyone else that you'd like to throw out there for him? Yeah, I have one that I've, I think, I mean, I'm not making this up. I've used this one before. I've heard this from others before. I still think there's a lot of LaMarcus Aldridge in his game. Yep. Um, I think he could be better defensively than Aldridge is slash was, which is, and that's really just based on what we've seen this season, mm-hmm. uh, which has been really, especially out in the perimeter, which I think is really important for him. Offensively, um, I think he, sh- he plays a lot in the, the same manner as Marcus Aldridge does, and that's not really a compliment. Yeah. It's a lot of mid-rangers, a lot of turnarounds, um, which are nice. They look really pretty, and honestly, I was having this discussion with Scott Howard the other day, like, I think a lot of the problem, uh, the dissonance maybe between fans who are really, really high in Aiton and don't understand why some other fans aren't, is Aiton just does things that are really, really cool and skilled, like Patrick Ewing stuff, like those cool turnaround jumpers. Like, it should be worth more to be able to do that. That, that That's a really skillful thing, and we should reward that in basketball, but we, we kind of don't in the modern game. Yep. It's sort of like the last shot that you want, which yep. is unfortunate because he's really good at it. But, um, yeah, maybe I, I agree the passing. I think that's maybe the, the differentiator between him and LaMarcus. He could be a much better passer than LaMarcus Aldridge has been. Um, I think that would be important for his game. But, yeah, as far as the, the, the Marco Sall thing, late late career shooting, like you said, maybe. But maybe this is a, a good time to go into our, our next question here. I'll throw, uh, I'll throw one out that I've yeah. just kind of come up with, and people will probably hate it. But a, a hybrid of Andre Drummond and Nikola Vucevic, Max. I think I've mentioned Vucevic hmm. before. Uh, people probably get angry about that because he's, you know, he's an all-star, but he's not exactly a, you know, franchise-changing big, which a lot of people hope uh, that DeAndre Ayton is. But just thinking about what DeAndre does really well now and then how his offensive game can kind of open up probably to be a lot better than what Andre Drummond is. You know, I think, you know, he's probably going to challenge Drummond this year for offensive boards, particularly if Drummond gets traded uh, and misses a few games, I think, you know, and, and has to get acclimatized to a new system. They're both at around 4.5 O boards uh, a game at the moment. And then Vooch, you know, you know, if you look at he, the three-point shot kind of came along uh, years five, six in his career. He's got great touch. He's, you know, not elite defensively, but uh, is probably a guy that really started to work out where he needs to be to alter shots. So I think he's averaged around that one block per game that you mentioned before for most of his career. You know, that's kind of what I see him being at the moment. Uh, maybe not ultra, ultra high ceiling, but, you know, with the tools that he's showing us at the moment, that's kind of a, a combo that I would kind of be looking to here. Yeah, I think it's really good. I've liked when you brought up the uh, Vucevic comparison in the past. Uh, I try to avoid the Andre Drummond one because it makes me sad, but I <laughs> absolutely see it. It's definitely uh, in there. I just had a thought two days before we move on. I actually think maybe the better the better comp for Aiton is the other Gasol brother, Powell. Again, not probably not as smart of a player on either side, but I think defensively more more realistic. Powell was always like good at being kind of in the way, like Aiton starting to become. Uh, better at and then obviously the touch around the rim and stuff I think uh, Pau Gasol makes more sense offensively at least I, I really really like that and it's probably I guess you know looking at that Vucevic comp maybe with a little bit of a higher ceiling you know Pau is essentially right. a, a number two player 
on a championship team with with Kobe. A lot of people would argue probably number one on a couple of Mm -hmm. those title teams. So yeah, I really, really like that one. And I guess before we move on, I just wanted to note, because we spoke mostly defensively, just in terms of other things that I've noticed, and you can add on top of this if there's anything else, but his overall aggression and kind of motor running up and down the court, uh, crashing the glass, as I mentioned before, uh, his screen setting has already come up. You know, that's just night and day, I think. Uh, he's I've highlighted a couple of plays on Twitter where he's just clearing out uh, for his teammates, which I think is a really great sign of just knowing what his role is in the NBA and just his overall decisiveness. Like I said after the Knicks game, I think that's the most aggressive and decisive he's been in any game in a Suns uniform that I've seen him play and uh, just encouraged by what we've seen so far, I would say, Max. I like the points you made about his team offense. I think he's been really good, like you said, uh, helping his teammates on that end, crashing the glass, uh, running in transition, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, that dunk he had in transition against the Knicks, that was, that was lovely. That's, that's the thing you, you love to see from him. Uh, I am overall, I think he's been pretty bad offensively just because of his reliance on the mid-range. Mm-hmm. Um, he, Zach Lowe makes this point, but he just no one like, catches the ball in the mid-range and flings at the basket faster than DeAndre Ayton does. I mean, I kind of hate gimmicks like this, but it would be the worst thing in the world if Monty Williams was like, all right, Aiden, you shoot a mid-range shot, I'm pulling you for the game immediately. You just, just stop doing it. I, I think there would be some – that would be good for his development in a lot of ways. He's just – he can't keep settling for those, David. He's got to either attack or, or back that out and start trying to shoot the three because you're just – in the modern NBA, you're not going to make your living on those shots. Yeah, he's got a, a very predictable tell when he looks down as well. It's very obvious mm-hmm. that he's going to take the mid-range shot when he catches the ball and looks down. But, you know, I posted a thread from the Knicks game. I think there was like 19 videos or something, which was not what I expected when I started, but I just kept going and, and was seeing stuff that I really liked from DeAndre. And, you know, I kind of said in that, I wouldn't, you know, talking about gimmicks, maybe, you know, dragging him is probably not something that's going to happen in the NBA. We just know that it's very hard for yeah. coaches to implement something like that. But, you know, I kind of thought, you know, a, a, a paint rule, like he's got to touch the paint either before the mm. catch or after the catch. And it kind of just encourages him to, you know, be aggressive in creating the position. And if he takes a, a mid-range turnaround after that, I'll live with it because he's at least kind of knocked his guy off the spot and uh, is probably better rather than those stationary ones that we see at the top of the key. And also encourages him to, you know, make a move or two, get to that jump hook where he's just lethal to get back to the paint. So, yeah, in terms of gimmicks, that's probably what I'd like to see. But we should probably jump to the next question now because you kind of segued it to it perfectly there with him not taking mid-ranges and probably needing to either get to the bucket or take three-point shots. We've got a couple of questions on that az spokesperson said why won't eight and shoot threes and Vinny chanlu said uh oh we'll get to Vinny in a second actually let's just go to az just why won't eight and shoot threes max um i mean I, we'd be lying if we told you we knew exactly the reason yep um but i think my assessment of it is that he's not comfortable shooting them uh, i see him shooting them uh, in practice some people are, are in on it i don't think it looks good no. to me david no. his feet to me are really they're not good um, he's, you know, the arc's still not there. Uh, even on the mid range, some of these shots are too flat. So I, I just think he's, he's, his shot is not built for it yet. And, uh, I mean, I guess there's some concern it ever will be if he's just always going to shoot in that kind of straight line method. But it, I think he kind of has to be David, I, I, just to back it up with stats. I mean, his true shooting percentage this year is only 52%. That's horrible for a big man. Yeah. Um, it's really, really terrible. And it's, it's entirely because of the mid-range stuff. I mean, he's still got the touch. I think you talked about the, the jump hook he had in the yep. Knicks game, which is beautiful, where he made the great footwork and then got in there. Like He needs to be doing more of that. 
Um, or he's got to back up from three. But uh, to answer the question more directly, I just don't think he uh, he's ready to shoot them yet. Yeah, I think he wants to. You know, we've seen a few quotes. Yeah. There was even some after the Knicks game uh, talking about wanting to. Uh, I think it's also clear that there's some pretty clear chances within the offensive scheme where he can take them. Uh, you know, he's, yep. he's left alone a lot up the top of the key, uh, quite similar to, to what we see from Aaron Baines, who's willing to, to let fly with those. So I think the easier answer, and you kind of alluded to it here, is that uh, the team just doesn't see it as a good shot yet. And Sam Vecini on his podcast a few weeks ago actually noted that he knows that Phoenix are one of the teams that kind of track stats on, um, you know, practice shooting and things. And mm-hmm. I, I would just probably my best guess would be that uh, the, the percentages on the tracking of those just aren't where they need to be yet. I don't know what yeah. the marker would be, how many needs to be hitting in practice in, in what's not, you know, NBA game simulation speed probably has to be quite high before they're, they're willing to let him, you know, go make him fly from, from uh, a live NBA game. So uh, that's probably my best guess here, Max. But we can move on to the next question, question from Vinny Chanlu if you want to read that one out. Yeah, sure. Vinny Chandler asks, what improvement do you need to see from Bain slash Aiton to convince you guys that continuing to start them is the right decision? I'll start here, David. There's almost nothing. Uh, DeAndre Aiton would have to like become Carl Anthony Towns, and still then I don't want him to be the center. So it wouldn't... I, I, I can't really imagine a scenario. Maybe this. Maybe if Baines and Aiton are just so by far the best bigs in the team, it's not even close, like no one else is even playable, Yeah. Uh, then I'd be happy about it. But maybe, maybe this is a good time for you to rant about what we were seeing from Manu with respect to the power four position right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, you know, sure as day that we were going to agree on this. And, and my first uh, note and answer is people will get mad at me for it. But honestly, nothing is my answer to, to Vinny's mm-hmm. question. There's just nothing that's going to convince me long term that this is both good for the team uh, in terms of winning games this season. And then probably... Uh, more importantly, good for DeAndre Ayton's development. I think it's terrible for his development. I think it's a real window uh, into this regime where they seem to be you know, more about uh, short-term wins and things like that, like a game versus the Knicks, versus you know, overall development strategy of, of what's a, a very key piece for this franchise going forward. You know, I don't want to talk about Aiton's quotes too much because people get a little bit angry and sensitive about that. But, you know, when you hear him say some of the things that he did after the Knicks game in terms of being excited about playing the four, you know, you you do get worried. Um, I guess to check myself a little bit, I'll also say that I thought he was really, really aggressive. Maybe the most aggressive I've seen him in terms of posting up and things like that against the Knicks. So, you know, if that's what got him to that position, then maybe it's it's good coaching and I don't know what I'm talking about. But, you know, I just think based on even the eye test so far in their minutes, I, I, they're not very good together. So I just don't get it other than, you know, maybe wanting to throw the first punch and, and kind of maybe they were worried during the losing streak that, you know, they were just too predictable and, and teams were coming out and doing their thing and they had nothing to counter it and they wanted to, you know, throw the first punch before the tip-off and, and throw teams something different, which, you know, I'll applaud it for to, to get that win if we don't see it again or we see it sparingly. But, um, you know, if they go for long stretches with this, they're just going to become really predictable and, and teams are just going to pick it apart, Max. There was a cool pass. Cool pass made to Baines like that. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, um, I guess the only way that I'd be convinced is if the NBA gets rid of the three-point line. That would help a lot. But yeah, just overall, I, I totally agree with you. The point about Aiden's development is the key. We're, we're talking here about how we want him to start being, you know, attack more. 
uh, or shoot more threes. I don't think having him play with Baines is, is the way to do that. I think it's going to lead to him maybe being inside even a little less. And, yeah. and I just I just don't like it, David. And I think the rebounding, too, a big reason why they did it, I think, is because they were getting their asses kicked on the boards. Yeah. Didn't didn't help, David. They still got their asses kicked on the boards. It did not. So, yeah. uh, I'd, I'd yeah. much prefer 48 minutes a night of great center play, which is what we would get yep. by, by having those two guys in the center rotation. And, you know, just to check myself again, because I, I did mention it a few episodes ago, I think the one with you and Callan, you know, if you're really desperate to make sure that Baines gets his you know 22 23 minutes a night I'm not totally against playing them you know five to ten minutes a night together you know in little stretches to you know end halves or quarters or something mm-hmm. like that you know if the the front office is really hell-bent on on getting that done but starting them and and being that predictable and slow uh, is not something that I think is either good for the team or good for DeAndre Ayton going forward which you mentioned before you know you know Ayton at his peak he needs to be the defensive anchor with a bunch of wings and playmakers around him. Uh, and as an offensive threat, he needs to be, you know, surrounded again by a bunch of playmaking and shooting. And, and Baines gives you a, you know, the odd hot shooting night like he did against the Knicks. But I just ask people to think about what about that Knicks game when, you know, Baines has one of his cold nights, like what is working together between the two of those other than Aaron Baines hitting the three pointers that he did, because, you know, it, it just doesn't work as far as I can see. You know, I will eat humble pie on that if they rattle off the next 10 games with them starting together. But, you know, I, I as I said, I applaud uh, throwing a punch and, and doing something unpredictable, which we've noted Monty uh, is willing to do. And, and I like that, but I will not support this being a, a long-term thing for the Suns, Max. Yeah, I think we're both going to need more than uh, a win over the Knicks, where they actually didn't look that impressive <laughs> to uh, to I thought, fall in love with this. I baby thought your coming. observation on Twitter was was perfect. That I, I saw your reply to someone in terms of uh, them being a contender doing this versus a you know a Friday night win over the Knicks uh, that wasn't convincing at all. Doesn't prove anything. I don't think Max. Uh, not to me, I would say. Uh, all right, let's move on. These are a little quicker before we get to Did You Know. Uh, this one's from Mike Bantam. How many three-point attempts do you think Mikael Bridges should take per game? Uh, more, David. I don't have an exact number in my head, but more. <laughs> yeah, I really just wanted to use this question to give Mikael a bit of a shout-out because I think he's, you know, he has been good in, in various games. I look out for him a lot, so I probably notice a lot more. You know, he's 28.8% from three on the year versus 33. Five from last year, but last 15 games, he's 33.33, and the 15 games in December, 40.7% on 1.8 attempts. So to answer the question, uh, at least around that, 1.8 attempts, 1. two a game. 1.8 attempts? That's, that's just not enough, David. <laughs> that's crazy low. It, it's, and he was at 3.8 last year, man. Yeah. Like, I, it, it's just not it's not what he needs to be doing. And I, I, I can't believe that I'm getting attacked by the Suns announcer on air for criticizing this guy's three-point <laughs> shooting. He's at 28% on the season of 1.7 attempts. What about that? It's supposed to be impressive. Yeah, keep, keep taking the open ones. You know, I you know people have yeah. noted, I do like the aggression uh, of him attacking the basket. And uh, weirdly, yeah. like you said with Booker earlier in the episode, you know, people do still respect him and he's kind of taking advantage of that by getting to the basket a little bit more. So, you know, I do like to see that. A lot of people criticized him last year for, you know, what is he offensively? He, he just seems to take open threes and not be very good at them and, and doesn't do much else. We've definitely seen other things from him 
this year. But, you know, the repetition and the confidence by taking more threes, I think, is the biggest key here. Because, you know, I'm, as someone who's very high on it coming around and have noticed little things here and there with it, it might be, you know, getting better or, or trending the right way. He's still got to take them in NBA games for the results to, to kind of bear themselves out a little bit. So that's really not a great answer, but my answer to this one is that he just needs to be taking more, taking more open ones and getting that repetition going. Yep, fully agree. I think he and Aiton have some of the same problems offensively. They've just got to be more aggressive. They've yep. got to develop themselves. Um, all right, at AZ spoke person, we all joke about people shooting better than average against the Suns. What can they do defensively to try and stop it? I'll start here. Uh, guarding the guy shooting the three-pointers would help, <laughs> I think. Uh, there are a lot of wide-open three-pointers against the Suns right now. A lot. And I, I do think that opponents are still shooting uh, you know, unsustainably well against them, even on these open looks. But my God, David, some of them are just wide open. Yeah, we're, we're 27th in the NBA in field goal percentage for opponents and 25th for three-point percentage. So it's not just the odd game here and there. It's been a pretty consistent theme throughout the season. And, you know, a lot has been said about the luck, but I also think it's, you know, scheme and effort, as you said, not leaving mm -hmm. them open. Uh, you know, making them make an extra pass or, or shoot over a defender would probably help some of the luck, I think. And, mm. you know, I just think opponents will shoot with confidence if you're not punching them, uh, you know, early and often. And I think I've noted, you know, guys are going to make what seem to be lucky shots if uh, your offense is stalled and they're up by quite a bit and they're, they're quite loose and comfortable taking that shot. And as you said, if we're not knocking them off their spots, and I think those two factors together particularly during the bad stretch is, is why we saw a lot of, um, you know, bad luck in inverted commas kind of towards the opponent three-point shooting because I just think teams were just, you know, loose, shooting very confident because they had the Suns on the ropes and, and could do so. And I think that has trended towards it. So, you know, not that the baines Aiton thing is a direct thing towards this, but I think, you know, the team needs to find out more ways to, uh, be less predictable and knock teams off their spots a little bit. Uh, and we'll hopefully see those percentages come down a little bit as the season goes on, Max. Yeah, the Suns tend to be at their best defensively, at least in the last year or so, when they're really getting out and attacking on the perimeter. Chaos. Uh, especially like Oubre and Mikel. Yeah, they, they tend to play better that way. Also, earlier in the season, I don't know what the hell happened to this, but they were kind of playing on a string together. Yep. It was really fun to watch. I mean, it's just a complete uh, 180 from that. Now, they they don't seem to even try to get out. Yeah, I think you made the point Yeah, the, the effort point. Yep. It ain't there. They're not trying. Booker has been a prime, a prime offender here. Yes. He was much improved earlier in the season defensively. He is... Uh, fallen off from that uh, perch, yeah, I would say. Yep. And a lot of that, I think, is just you know the the load that's been on him with all the injuries around him and even to himself. Pro that's probably been taxing him. But you know, excuses are excuses. It's the NBA, you got to get out there and play defense, and they are not right now, David. Yeah, just because I am very you know sympathetic towards coaches. You know, everyone listening that that has listened to us for a while would know that with Eagle last year. But maybe that's another window into why we saw. Aiton and Baines together because I think they really like Baines in mm -hmm. terms of keeping the team on a string but I also think they just need more athleticism and and kind of you know length out there so you know keeping Baines out there as the communicator and then throwing Aiton out there I just think for this to improve they need to get length out there as much as possible and uh, not to harp on it too much but this is why you pick a guy like DeAndre Aiton at number one and hope that he he reaches his peak because he should be anchoring that defense and then you can throw you know a whole heap of wings and stuff out there and, and not be uh, losing too much on the you know glass and and with overall 
defense. So, you know, that's the long-term goal here. Short-term, maybe they thought Baines and Aiton together was going to help them a little bit. I hope we don't see it too much, uh, particularly not starting. But yeah, more chaos and more athleticism, I think, will probably uh, factor in. And I think Aiton will help with that, Max. All right. How about a little uh, did you know before we go on to the rest of our questions? Let's do it, Max. Heading into 2020, it only felt right to do a bit of a look back over the last decade of Suns basketball. I don't know where you stand on the whole when is a decade debate, but for the purposes of this segment, I'm rolling with the idea of looking back on the last 10 years of Suns basketball, including the current 1920 season. A rather depressing period of Phoenix basketball with no current playoff appearance in any season from 2010-11 until today. Perhaps the drought will be broken in the final season of the decade, Max. But Max, did you know 114 players have suited up for the Suns and taken to the court in the last decade? I am not going to get you to (laughs) tell us who all of them are. Uh, But it's Devin Booker to Chase Budinger to Hamed Haddadi to Steve Nash played for the Suns in this decade as well. In fact, as I tweeted earlier this week, Steve Nash scored the first two points of the decade and Devin Booker scored the last two. But on that group of 114 players, Max, as I sorted through the stats of the last 10 seasons, some interesting results started to come to the fore. Devin Booker dominates a lot of categories, including field goals, three-pointers, points, free throws, and also turnovers, but some other famous or infamous names come up elsewhere. Max, who do you think led the Suns for the decade in personal fouls with 969? Oh, wow. That is really interesting. Personal fouls. You know, he was here a while, so I guess I'm just going to go with... uh, Bledsoe? Ooh, it was Markeith Morris, but in 345 games, he was here a while. So an average of just 2.8 per game to his credit. Who do you think takes out the blocks category with 344 for the decade? Mm. Man, that is difficult. I don't know, David. Who is PJ Tucker? Alex Len in 335 yeah. games. What about assists? This is a pressing game, David. <laughs> <laughs> it gets a little better here. Assist, 1,519 in 137 games. Goran? Steve Nash. Okay. He's around long enough. Uh, he's uh, an infamous name that uh, you don't like very much. Who has the worst win share contribution over that time? I don't like very much. I don't like a lot of these guys very much. Uh, Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson, minus 2.4, slightly ahead of Michael Beasley with minus 1.5. A couple of uh, sons that we can probably leave in the past, I think. And Mm -hmm. what about the best win share? You mentioned this name. It's going to be tough for you to pick one of the names that you picked from, but he had 19.9 win shares over the decade, and it was a little bit of a surprise to me. Bledsoe? It was, in fact, Goran. Okay. Was... I thought it was going to be the surprise answer, Bledsoe, because I always don't like him. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Uh, he was just ahead of another guy who dominates a number of other categories I haven't yet mentioned. Max, the big 1,000-point question here. From 2010 to 2020, which Phoenix Sun was second in win shares with 19.7, but also led the franchise in games, games started, minutes, rebounds, and steals. Uh, P.J. Tucker. It was none other than P.J. Tucker or Anthony Leon Tucker with the P.J. standing for Pops Jr. That's right. Mr. Tucker (laughs) played 
377 games for 286 starts with 10,950 minutes, 2,235 rebounds, and 470 steals from just 2013 to 2017 in a Phoenix Suns uniform and led the franchise for the decade. It's also fitting for this segment that we focus on PJ Tucker because as he noted on Instagram as the years changed from 2019 to 20, he wasn't even in the NBA at the beginning of it in 2010. Hmm. Tucker himself noted in that post that he was fed up with the game and attempted to retire twice, but just couldn't quit his love for it. After being drafted in 2006 with the 35th pick, quick sidebar, Max, which team drafted him? Oh, God, Uh, Toronto? It was Toronto, where he played 17 games before being waived in 2007. He then played ball in Israel, Ukraine, and was in Greece when the decade started in 2010. He went on to play in Italy and Germany too, before signing in Russia in 2012, but opting out of the deal when Phoenix offered him a chance to play on their summer league team. And as they say, Max, the rest is history. Tucker played five seasons with the Suns before being traded back to where it all began in Toronto and eventually winding up in Houston, where he sits to this day. But before we end, Max, I want to give you the chance to perhaps mention your favorite PJ Tucker memory from his time with Phoenix, and hopefully some of the listeners will reflect on theirs as you do so. This is a sad statement on the decade, but I remember when he had some like really great game in one of our early on tanking years, and he almost hit a game winner but didn't. <laughs> uh, and I was really happy because I was rooting for losses hard back then. That's a, oh, what a bad decade. <laughs> that, that is just a great way to sum up the decade, I think. But that's it, that's it for this week, Max. But before we go back to the mailbag questions, I just... Wanted to mention that it's episode 73, and I've got a classic ending to the segment this week. 73rd on the games played for the decade list was Alec (laughs) Peters. Mm. When Phoenix traded Tucker to the Raptors, it was for Jared Sullinger and two second-round picks. One of those picks became George King, who is now playing in Italy, where Tucker spent a season. The other was Alec Peters, and with PJ Tucker, he has in common that he has wound up in Europe after one season in the NBA and being drafted in the second round. In fact, he's playing in Russia, where Tucker almost ended up before Phoenix gave him a chance. So going off the Tucker trajectory, we're due to see Alec Peters in the NBA in season 2023-24, Max. Hey, he had that great shooting performance against the Mavs. I'm not going to roll it out. The guy can really shoot it, David. Yep. All right. Let's get into our next set of questions. We have some trade questions, David. We did a full uh, fuller trade thing a couple weeks ago. Yes. Uh, so we'll run through these pretty quickly. Uh, first, at Sun Shall Rise. The Baines apparently starting now and Aiton moving to the four. Just by the way, side note, I'm not sure that's permanent. <laughs> Should the Suns make a move to obtain a backup center to reduce the potential wear and tear on a 33-year-old Baines? Short answer, No. Uh, And for all the reasons we just mentioned before, did you know, uh, Baines should be the backup center, and that is the perfect way to reduce the wear and tear on Baines' body max. I agree. Next, at Country K, favorite trade targets for a power forward, non-Gallo Love, and for a backup guard. We really went over these in depth a couple weeks ago. Uh, I'll say that I think uh, Redick is really interesting to me, so I'll just mention that for the backup guard part. Uh, How about you? Yeah, I think, you know, if you're not playing Tyler or Frank, I, I think you've got a huge opportunity to use their expiring. So, 
you know, the biggest flaws for the short term for a playoff run? What, what We did cover it in the last episode, but what would you say they are, Max? What, what are the biggest things that this Suns team needs? Um, I think athleticism with the four is important. Yep. Um, so they don't have to start those two together, as we mentioned a hundred times already. Yep. And yeah, I think a backup guard is really important. I think we could really bolster. I mean, especially, you know, you get the nine-point scoring uh, the last game. I think our guards are kind of disappointing us this season. Yeah, and I think, I'm not sure whether you mentioned it, but Sunderous Dunks essentially asked the same thing with realistic trade scenarios and ways to bolster our bench for a playoff run. So very similar to Country K, uh, who said we're not allowed to mention Gallo or Love, which we did in previous episodes. So I'll throw four scenarios at you here, and you can pick your favorite, and we can move on to the next one. How do you feel about that? Sure, let's do it. All right, Tyler and Frank for Marvin Williams and Malik Monk. I like that one. Scenario two, Marcus Morris and Reggie Bullock for Tyler Johnson, and you'll probably have to throw a, a fir- protected first-round pick in there, I'm guessing, because I think that's what Marcus Morris is going to get eventually. And then you go and get Sadaransky uh, with Frank and a few other pieces. So you end up with uh, Marcus to play the power forward, a bit of extra shooting and defense with Reggie Bullock, and Sato as the backup playmaker. Man, that was going to be so much easier before you added Sadoransky in there. Uh, big no on Marcus. Ball stopper, not a fan. Also, I mean, you know, not realistic for other reasons, as we know. Uh, but uh, Sadoransky, man. Yes on Sadoransky. Another guy we mentioned before, uh, but I've put him with a, a backup playmaker who earns a little bit of money next year. Davis Bertans and Ish Smith. That's the best one. I don't think Washington's trading Bertans, but that's the best one. Yep. And an interesting one. Uh, you might go for Jeff Teague's expiring to play to pay uh, backup point guard, uh, and I've thrown Jake Lehman in there, who I think could give us some pretty good power forward minutes. What do you think about that one? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I would uh, I would do that. I think I still like the Bretons one the most because he's the best player among those. Ish Smith would be nice too, uh, but again, I don't think that's realistic. I think Washington will hold on to him. So uh, I think my favorite one might be that Minnesota one, David. That's a nice one. Alrighty, so let's go to Greg. Batowski's question. If possible, would you trade for Chris Paul, Rubio, Tyler Johnson, Frank, and a 2021st? What else? Uh, you shouldn't have to give up even the first in that deal because Chris Paul's contract is terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I would not trade for Chris Paul. I mean, it would be a, you know, a great short-term move. The dude has been really, really good this season. Uh, just go look at his contract, though. Yep. It's a disaster. Short answer, no, again, for me, but tempting uh, with the way he's playing. He's been really, really good and a massive reason for... OKC being uh, one of our biggest irritants at the moment in terms of playoff spots. But yeah, as you said, uh, the next two years, CP3 makes 85 million, Ricky Rubio makes 35 million. There is no way that you could convince me that that $50 million difference is worth it, Max. No, it's not. Although I will say Chris Paul as a fit with Booker is a lot better because of the shooting. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, it's it's just too much money. Also, Chris Paul, I mean, that guy is... He's on borrowed time right now. Let's put it that way. He's had a lot of knee problems. He's very, what is he, 34, 35. Uh, I would not be surprised to see him fall off a cliff uh, as soon as next season. Yeah, $45 million player option in two seasons. Uh, he's definitely going to pick up. So how about that? Yeah, that's a pickup. That's a pickup. And he may not be good at all. He won't be worth 45. I can tell you that. He may not be worth five. Who knows? <laughs> um, all right. Next question, David. Alex Vero asks, Viro Vero, with... Kaminsky injured for the immediate future. Who do you think the Suns should sign using their open two-way contract slot? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to harp on this one too much and and bore people to death, but I did want to use the question to just point out something that I did earlier this week. Jan 15 is the last day for signing two-ways, and you know, I tweeted this before Frank 
got injured. But with no room on the roster to sign, you know, short-term guys, you know, minimums or 10 days, uh, they don't have any roster spots at the, at the moment. It would kind of be ludicrous not to fill this spot with a big just for, you know, mm-hmm. we've seen it. You know, Baines isn't exactly reliable. If Aiton has another ankle sprain or whatever, and the timing is that both of them are out at the same time, and now Frank's out as well indefinitely, we're basically screwed. So uh, Tariq Owens has been a guy at the Naz Suns that I'll just throw up. He's kind of averaging a double-double. He's a bit of a rim protector. Uh, he's a little bit older, so he's not... You know, whilst he's raw, you could probably count on him for some backup minutes at least. Uh, but yeah. we'll probably see Diallo in this scenario starting if uh, you know the the worst thing happens and a couple of injuries are side by side here. So uh, just for how cheap it is, it would be um, just ludicrous to be honest to not fill this spot in the next ten days. Yeah, I agree. I don't have a list of bigs who are not on teams right now in front of me, but uh, I think it makes a lot of sense to sign. I think they kind of have to. Um, and that, but really, I think you bring up Ch- Chick Diallo. That's that's really what comes to mind to me in terms of the implications of the community trade more, or injury more than anything else. Yep. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more of him. Uh, he has not been as good lately as he was to start the season. We'll see how he can impact games going forward. I don't know. I'm a little low on, on him. Although, you know, they're only playing Sarge four minutes a game right now, David, <laughs> so maybe they can just ramp that up a little bit too. That can help. Yep. All right, let's go on to the next questions from Mike Notham. Is there a point record-wise where it makes sense to be sellers at the deadline and consider moving Baines? He apologizes to you, David. Uh, what would they need to get back to make it worthwhile? I think here the answer is yes for me. Uh, not necessarily to moving Baines, but where, where it makes sense to be sellers yeah. to a certain extent. Uh, I mean, it, it particularly, we, we don't know behind the scenes, but if they know Baines is unhappy and is, is not going to resign or whatever, uh, I think you know if you get a first for him, it probably makes sense. Uh, or, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be Baines. Anybody else who's more of a veteran? He's really the only one who fits the bill in terms of who other teams might want. Uh, maybe Sarich. Yeah, I, I think if, if it becomes clear that some of these guys are not happy with the way the season's going uh, and you're not going to make the playoffs, like you really fall out of it, then, yeah, I think it might make some sense. What do you think? Yeah, I think the short answer is yes, as you said, and you kind of explained for, for all the right reasons there why it would be. But the only thing that I'll note is that it, it's probably not record and, and more kind of how many games out of the eighth spot that they are because their record's not great at the moment. They're only half a game out. So there's 15 games before the deadline. So I actually think it's almost going to be impossible with the stretch that they've mm-hmm. got coming up that they're tempted into being sellers because I think that eight spot is still going to be within reach, particularly with a, a buyer trade as well. So I actually think the answer is, you know, essentially no. I, I don't think they'd be sellers. Baines's name has come up a lot from, you know, general NBA people looking for trades. And, you know, if you got a first, I think you'd have to look at it. But uh, I, I'd probably use the opportunity just to say I've, I've noticed people talking about Baines potentially being unhappy or something. All I'd ask those people to do, watch that dude on the bench. Like, that mm-hmm. guy is engaged. He is yelling every single play. He's cheering on his teammates. So if you've ever had a thought, you know, he's limited on the court sometimes and can and look like he's not engaged or, um, you know, maybe has taken the night off or something and, and has kind of checked out. But just watch that dude on the bench, and I can assure you, you will be convinced that he, at least for this point in time, and I'm guessing the next 15 games before uh, the deadline, he is engaged as a Phoenix Sun. So unless you got a crazy, crazy offer, you know, Zubach from the Clippers is one that kind of came up in general NBA circles that you'd maybe look at as a, a cheap backup option that's, locked into a contract but yeah unless it's a, a young player like that or a first I just think that you're better off holding on to him and, and maybe seeing if you can re-sign him 
I'm not seeing anything out of Baines that makes me think he's unhappy here. Uh, I mean, he's also like a pro's pro, so maybe he's just really good at hiding it if he's unhappy here. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I don't see it. The only way I'm going to knock on wood here. Not not like Kevin uh, Love. Uh, he's, he no, doesn't have like the Kevin body Love. language of Kevin Love or the, or oh, the God, hiding no. skills of but Kevin Love. But I'm, I'm going to knock on wood here. Uh, I think an injury is the thing that could cause this. You know, if Booker goes out for the rest of the season, I think that's when they're definitely settlers, like right away. Yeah. Um, and so which is all that doesn't happen, but that would be... That would be what would uh, cause it. So uh, next next question kind of related. At Morenal LA, 100 lease. I get I probably butchered that. But uh, how many wins do we need this month to dream again with playoffs? They got to go above 500 this month for me, David. Mm-hmm. You know, as you said, the, the schedule's so soft. Um, I don't think it's by any means a uh, written in stone kind of thing. The Suns, as they're playing lately, can kind of lose anybody. Uh, they could have lost to the Knicks <laughs> the other night. <laughs> yep. So I'm definitely not writing anything in stone. But I think uh, I think if they go at least a game or two over 500, they still at least have a chance. Yeah, we've we've said it for weeks. Like this is the stretch. You know, there's 12 games to go in the month, as Miranda uh, alludes to there. And you know, I think the aim should be that they should be in eighth by January 31st. And and the way that they do that is is by going over 500 and and probably going a fair bit over 500, as you said, to get that eighth spot. Because then they're going to hit some tough parts of the schedule where they want to have, I guess, some wins under their belt and and a little bit of. Uh, leg room, I suppose, on on some of those other teams that are chasing that spot. But you know, my prediction is that they'll probably be because they are so behind at the moment. They'll probably be around twenty two and twenty five, just going through the schedule, which you know I think would probably put them in eighth, and and they'll have a shot. They'll hopefully take some momentum from some wins, and therefore some of these tougher parts of the schedule. When we look at what the team is now, uh, they may actually be better. Uh, I guess runs on the schedule because the the team will have confidence and uh, will be playing much more like what we saw at the start of the year, Max. Wouldn't it be fitting if the Suns made the playoffs with the worst record in the history of the Western Conference? <laughs> just a Phoenix Suns thing to do, wouldn't it? Well, after, <laughs> after that year with Jeff Hornacek, where it was, I think, if not the best record to miss the playoffs, oh, yeah. it, it was up there. Maybe uh, that's the karma that we deserve. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I, yeah, we, we'll go from 48 and not making it, and we'll get 38 this year and make it. <laughs> It'll be great. Um, all right, next we're going to do some long-term questions here. Uh, we're going to do the first few together because they're similar. Mm-hmm. From Tom Phillips, looking ahead to this summer, assuming Sarge and Frank don't get re-signed and Bain is too expensive, who do the Suns look at a power forward? At Zaja, who what should the Suns focus on next summer? Uh, point guard in the future or starting power forward? And then we got Denholm Melrose with uh, Bain, Sarge, Johnson, Carter, Diallo. Who do you expect us to bring back this, next year, if any, among these guys? So that's a lot to process. Let's start with the, the Melrose question. It kind of sets up what we're going to need yep. next season. Uh, I don't think we're bringing back Johnson. Uh, no chance. I think Sarge is becoming very low chance. Bain's decent chance. Carter Diallo, I mean, I just I don't think that matters in terms of the uh, the long term. I'd say probably both, no on both. Yeah, I, I'd probably go quite high. I, I went out of ten on all of these. So Diallo went eight out of ten, just because that very cheap team option is probably going to mean mm. that he comes back. Uh, Carter, I went the other way, just because the other guards on the roster, even though he's uh, well, he's not going to be quite cheap. He, I think he's actually a free agent, like DeAnthony Melton was going to be in that trade. So I can't see him coming back. Tyler, you said it. Uh, I rated it a two, just maybe if he hangs around after the trade deadline, they work something out for him to come back. But uh, I think that's very, very unlikely. Frank has the team option, so I've given it a three out of 10, uh, just because the when you've got the option there, uh, the, the team might pick it up. But uh, on the way he played and then the injury, hard to see. Saric is a real, you know, if you ask me 
five games ago, I probably would have said, you know, seven or eight, but now it's probably looking below five just in terms of how things are shaping out. Although I've still got a little bit of hope for him. Uh, and Baines, you know, I think it, it really probably depends on this trade deadline that we're about to talk about. So uh, if he makes the deadline, I would say there's a quite a high chance in him returning for the Suns, Max. But, you know, moving on to uh, Tom's question and, and Zai's question there, I think, you know, assuming we don't trade before the deadline for one, I think it then becomes free agency because, you know, it's hard to see them making a trade in the future, uh, a big trade once they lose Tyler Johnson because uh, what have you got in terms of salary? You've got Rubio's contract. Uh, Ubre, I guess, will be a, a semi-expiring by then, but the way he's playing, you're not exactly going to, be you know knocking down teams doors to trade him for your next big star so uh, I think it's going to be 2020 free agency which isn't great but there are some names to maybe fill a bit of a a placeholder while you work your long-term power forward stuff out Max yeah I actually think it's probably more likely they trade for somebody uh, to fill the power forward spot Mm -hmm. than they sign somebody maybe even in the offseason like an offseason some team wants to make some room for something else like they did Uh, at the draft I suppose yeah yeah, exactly. I think that's probably more likely. I don't know who it is. Maybe somebody like Thad Young from Chicago. It's not really working out there. Yeah. Uh, somebody that I could see James Jones really liking. Um, the only uh, I, I'm going to pick a uh, pick a net with you, Rudolph, on the, the yellow thing. Yep. The only reason I think there's a chance, even though I agree, I mean, it's very cheap to keep them. I could see them not keeping them just because they, they, they seem to hate their forwards, David. <laughs> I can see them trying to just overhaul the whole thing. Maybe just sort of like a, we're just flushing the whole thing out. That's the only reason I'd have it a little lower than an eight. But you're, you're right. Logistically, it's easy to keep them around. In terms of whether they should focus on a point guard of the future or a starting point guard, I, I mean, unless draft, I guess in draft, you'd maybe look at the point guard, especially in this particular draft. Uh, I haven't delved into it, but there's a lot of point guards. Um, but in terms of what, what you're going to find elsewhere, trade or, or free agency, I don't think you're getting a point guard of the future that way. That's definitely much more of a starting power forward sort of thing. I, I think they're, they're still going to be, they're banking on their young guys, I'd imagine, LeCue and uh, Ty Jerome yep. still. I know Ty Jerome had a... Uh, a pretty bad start to his career, but, you know, you can't give up on him yet. That He's a guy making his first debut in the NBA uh, up an injury. So He'll be back. I, I think they're still looking. He'll be back for sure. They'll, they'll play him, especially if they fall out of it. They're probably going to give him a lot more minutes, yep. try to develop him. Uh, but overall, I think in terms of what they should focus on for the media upgrade, it's, it's a starting power forward, David. Yeah, I just don't see the draft being a priority for a lot of the, the reasons that you mentioned. You know, we might end up with a, a rather high pick, but, um, you know, as you said, they've got Jerome, LeCue, even a Kobo. You know, they've got three point mm-hmm. guard prospects uh, already on the roster, which they seemingly like because uh, two of them came in this this last period under the current regime. So it would be strange for them to give up on those straight away and go back to the draft for a point guard unless they had a really, really high pick and, and one of these top guys uh, is on their radar. So, And you just look at the age profile of the team. Like Ubre's 24, Booker 23, Mikhail 23, Cam 23, Aiton 21, Jerome 22, then you've got LeCue, who I think is 19 still. So, you know, it's hard seeing them adding a, a lot more young stuff uh, to this. So, again, if they don't make that trade splash and they don't do, a, I guess, a short-term trade, like you said, for Thad Young or someone like that, I think, you know, they'll maybe just go back to free agency with 20 or 30 mil in space if they stay under the cap or they'll, they'll have those exceptions that we ran through in, in the last Nerdcast that we did. And, you know, there's some vets out there, you know, Millsap, Abarca, Derek Favors even, uh, and then some young guys, you know, Noah Vonley came up in our last off-seasons. He hasn't been great in Minnesota. Uh, Christian Wood is going to be a free agent uh, for the Pistons. 
uh, and probably have a lot of teams. The Pistons will be annoyed because they finally uh, look like they're going to break things down, and, and probably one of their most promising young guys is going to be an unrestricted free agent uh, in a in a period where teams have a lot of money and there's not many good free agents. So that'll be one to watch. But we also can't rule out a lot of Cam, Kelly, and, and Mikel stuff at the power forward position. So you know, it may not be a big swing for a, a big power forward that everyone's looking for. There might be just some more smaller moves here to, to solidify the position, Max. A Millsap makes a lot of sense. I could see uh, James Jones really, really wanting to Millsap. I really like here. that one just as a one or two year deal while you're, you know, maybe, yeah, trend towards playing. No, the way he's playing now is fantastic, right? The <laughs> yeah. concern is that he's, he's very old is the concern with him. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> very old. Um, all right. At Casey Kempton, put yourself in the front office in the darkest timeline where Booker demands a trade. By this deadline, I guess, is the question. He reluctantly abides. It's not going to happen, by the way. Um, I mean, it could be in the next couple of deadlines. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, I'd be nervous we're not making the playoffs soon with him. But uh, I, I don't have a specific package on him. All I'll say is that he's not going to get the kind of thing that the, the, the true top guys get, but he will get a, he'd get a nice package. Yeah, I, I don't want to be rude to the question because we appreciate all the questions that we get. But I need to say, you know, stay consistent here. So, you know, he's, he's not being traded. Uh, you know, I think the window for these guys, and we can probably talk about, you know, we like after this Did You Know segment to talk a little bit of general NBA stuff. You know, it kind of pertains to Carl Anthony Towns, who was rumored to be, you know, teams sniffing around how happy he was in Minnesota. Uh, he's in the exact same position and is a better player than Devin Booker straight up. And I don't think he's going anywhere. I think these guys that are on year one of a five-year max, it's probably not until after year three, where that window really starts to open up, where the player can maybe try and force themselves out or the team uh, looks to move them on. And uh, Towns would get a, a much, much better package than Devin Booker, I think, uh, and it would be a lot. It would be a lot. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's getting earlier and earlier now when these players demand out, so maybe I could see it happening in the second year of a deal. Like, it wouldn't shock me if Cat demanded out at next year's deadline, yeah. but I, I would not be expecting that or relying on it. Uh, next one, at Wild 78 please talk about trading for Drew Holiday and how Rubio <laughs> off the bench is the future. So I actually got into a conversation with somebody on Twitter about this. I mean... I, I think, I mean, you know, we don't have to say that we love Drew Holiday on this podcast. Everyone knows that. Yep. If Rubio were, like, down for this and was 100% gung-ho about it, then maybe I'd think about it. But I just can't imagine a scenario where that's something that's going to go over well chemistry-wise. Yeah, I don't think you sign Ricky Rubio to a three-year deal, probably promising him the start, and then throw this in the mix and expect him to be happy. So uh, if you're trading for Drew, then Rubio is probably on his way out, I would imagine. I still think Drew's like the ultimate, ultimate Devin Booker partner. So, mm -hmm. yeah, you don't need to convince me about that part, but uh, I'm very happy with Ricky Rubio so far, and I, I don't see him going into a, a backup role for Drew or, or any other point guard in the league, at least at this point in time, maybe in the third year of his deal or something like that. But again, you're probably still just trying to get off that money by that point. But probably, a, again, another nice chance to say, look out for the Pelicans. I think they're only three games behind... Mm -hmm the eighth seed, another team that we wrote off in one of these sections of looking through bubble teams uh, early on in the season, and they've come roaring back. I think they've got the easiest schedule of all the bubble teams, uh, and Zion maybe still to add back, although I'm still skeptical on that, Max. I don't know if you've got any feelings on whether we'll see Zion Williamson this season. I kind of forgot he exists. Um, yeah, I mean, they're saying he's going to come back this month, and I, I saw some tape or a video of him on Twitter where he was looking spry. 
So I guess we should be expected to see him back soon. But it really, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if this keeps lingering or if he or he has a setback and just doesn't play this season. It just it doesn't have a good feel to it, David. No, it doesn't. And I really hate, you know, and this happens a lot. This is just the business of the NBA. But, you know, that report that came out, it was like both sides see him playing in January. It's like, why is there both sides? Like, you're the, you're the player of a team that has just drafted you. Like, surely you're on the same page with this. Like, why are we getting, you know, possibly two conflicting reports on when a player should return from injury? Like, they just got the Suns and, you know, shouted from the rooftops about how well they did to get the best medical team from the Phoenix Suns. So like, so why are we getting reports about, you know, them not potentially being on the same page or it being encouraging that they are on the same page? Of course they should be on the fucking same page. You would think so, wouldn't you? Yeah, the the, uh, the health track record of the Pelicans this season and the Suns over the past few, uh, it's not exactly uh, Sterling Mark on this resume of the uh, supposed best training staff in the NBA. Uh, let's move on to some rapid-fire fun questions before we close out here, David. Yep. Uh, from Brian V, this is one's really nice. How can listeners, subscribers support your show financially? Your segments are clever, you are super knowledgeable, and David has a cool accent. I at least agree with the last part. Uh, I'm worried that we may lose you if this quote-unquote hobby doesn't start paying for itself. I'll start on this one. I, I think you share my sentiments here, David. Uh, neither of us is doing this for anything other than the fact that we enjoy talking about basketball, and it's, it's cool to have you guys uh, like the show and, and support it. And really, the only way you can pay us in a way that we care about it is just by continuing to support, uh, participate, send us questions like you are now. You're already being great, Brian. So no, we have no interest in making money off this show, and it doesn't cost that much money to run a podcast, to be to be uh, candid about that. So uh, I'm not having a problem with that, David. How about you? Yeah, and you know, we, we like at least at this point in time to for the uh, podcast to be you know ad free, which hopefully some listeners like compared to some other podcasts that they listen to. And you know, we can take time off because we're not being paid to do this or anything like that, which happens in our busy lives from time to time, which I'm sure the listeners have picked up. But I love that Brian has asked this question not only because his question was very nice and glowing of our podcast, Max, but I actually. I uh, was already thinking about bringing something up here. I hope you don't mind me hijacking this a little bit, uh, but no I think you'll uh, agree with the sentiment here. My country is literally on fire at the moment, Max. And uh, yep. if anyone is thinking about, you know, helping out the podcast in any way, uh, I can send some links to donate to what are mostly volunteer firefighters uh, that are fighting these fires at the moment. And they need all the money and support that they can get, particularly because our government is not supporting them very well at all. So uh, if you did want to throw some money our way, that would be uh, how I would very much appreciate it. Uh, and the Red Cross is the best place to go. But as I said, I'll tweet out a link and if anyone wants to, to donate some money to people much more deserving than us, Max, that would be much appreciated. Well said. I echo all that. We're doing a stupid podcast. They are out there trying to save lives and, and nature. So yep. definitely support that. That is much more important than this silly little podcast. Let's move on. Uh, at Gina Saros, who I believe is also Australian, right? He is. Uh, what did you get up to over Christmas and New Year's? Uh, any basketball, NBA-related traditions? Uh, I don't know. I don't really have any, David. I mean, I watched the Christmas Day games. I don't really have an interesting answer here, unfortunately. How about you? Yeah, my nephew turned one over the Christmas and New Year break, oh. so I spent a, lo a lot of time with family and, and some time away uh, with my partner as well, which was really good. But not sure if I've mentioned this on the pod before. I think I have. But, you know, Boxing Day is our uh, American Christmas Day here. So we get very spoilt where you can essentially wake up at like 5.30 in the morning, 
the day after the Christ, after Christmas and, and watch uh, all the five Christmas Day games back to back to back on the day after Christmas when you're feeling uh, very sorry for yourself and probably eating a, a shitload of F leftover food and things like that. So uh, Christmas in terms of NBA, as Gene would know, is, is a great time for NBA fans because we get to watch uh, all those Christmas Day games back to back uh, over the course of uh, our daylight hours. Yeah, I remain jealous of Boxing Day. I work on the day after Christmas, so I don't get a Boxing Day. <laughs> so, very jealous. Uh, final, uh, second to last question, actually. At E. Boldy, I see all the good technical questions are being asked, so I offer, what are my chances with Kelly Oubre? <laughs> uh, fantastic question. So, E. Boldy, I don't know what you look like or what your uh, gender slash sex is. All I will say is, unless you are an incredibly good-looking woman, I think your uh, chances are pretty pretty low. <laughs> I don't think any of us have a chance with Kelly Oubre, to be perfectly honest. Maybe uh, Andrew Leesus. <laughs> yes, maybe Andrew Leesus. But uh, he's also probably the best fan favorite since God. I don't know, Max. I don't know if you've got any opinions on this, but I can't think of the last guy, you know, non-superstar like a Steve Nash right. or a Mari, uh, that the fans loved quite like Kelly Oubre. So whilst none of us... Have a chance, E. Baldy. Uh, Kelly's for all of us, uh, I would say. I would say he's not as good as Kelly nearly or anything. Pat Burke was a fun one for a while there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Elliot Perry with the Sox was fun, but yeah, I, I don't. I, I think Kelly's probably number one at this point. He's just, I mean, he's incredible. His charisma, his charisma is off the charts. Mm -hmm. um, at Benjamin Golan, how lucky are we that Memphis didn't know their Brookses and we ended up. With Ubre Jr., very lucky. I would much rather have Kelly Ubre than Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks is having an okay season; it's not great. Uh, Kelly Ubre, far superior. Even absolute fleece of a trade, particularly when you see what Trevor Ariza is currently doing uh, on the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> Keeps uh, tricking teams, I would say. But I had a look at it. Uh, this fluctuates quite a bit, and has fluctuated a lot in Kelly's recent. Uh, hot streak for the Suns, but he's currently putting up career highs in field goal percentage, three-point percentage, free throw attempts, rebounds, assists, steals, and points. And I alluded to it earlier in the show. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts around all-star selections and things like that. Jason Tatum's name gets brought up a lot as an Eastern all-star, you know, on the bubble, should he get picked, should he not? Uh, a lot of, surprisingly, a lot of guys are, are going Jalen Brown, and maybe not surprising, if you look at the numbers, he definitely deserves it, shooting 40% from three. But uh, if you want to know how well Kelly Oubre Jr. is going, uh, just have a look at his stats next to Jason Tatum, who gets talked about a hell of a lot. Uh, and they're not that different in age either, Max. Uh, it's pretty close. Pretty close. Yeah, I'll say the the, the, the all-in-one advanced metrics love Jason Tatum, especially his defense. Yeah. Um, I do think he is a much better and more consistent defender than Kelly Oubre is. Definitely. But offensively, I think Kelly Oubre is probably, honestly, a better player. Uh, at least right now. I, I still take Tatum long-term. But the fact that Oubre is even in that conversation is nice. Uh, the other thing I'll say about him, David, I, I think you must have noticed this lately. Like, I don't think he's more athletic than he was before, but maybe he's just better at the game and finding opportunities to show him off. But, man, he is so athletic. Like Some of, the, some of his transition dunks are like unbelievable how quickly he gets up. Yeah, they're getting him out in the open court. Uh, he's catching a lot of guys. I think the league's starting to take notice a little bit as well. And uh, either myself or someone who has more time and and beats me to it, I, I've been thinking about going back through and and you know making a body count list of all those guys that he's put on a poster this year because there are a lot of them, Max. 
he's just, I mean, he is among freak NBA athletes, like like 95 percentile athlete to start to look like. Like he is much more athletic than I realized he was. And I think that he was able to show last season largely just because he, his decision-making wasn't great a lot of times. But now that when he when he makes good decisions and just, you know, flies towards the rim, it is. It's fun to watch, David. Yep, love it. And a great point to end our giant mailbag here, Max. Yep, thanks again for all the questions, guys. Those were great. We love doing these episodes. We should probably do them more often, actually. They're easier for us. <laughs> uh, but uh, let's go ahead and get into seven seconds or less before we sign off for the day. Uh, you guys know all the rules. I'm asking David the questions today. David, number one, what about the Suns right now? Just in general, you can answer this however you want. Is the most discouraging to you? The most discouraging. All right, we yep. are what, four and a bit hours away from the Memphis game? Uh, if mm-hmm. Aiton and Bain start together again, that would be the most discouraging thing about the Suns for me at the moment, Max. That's a good answer. What is the most encouraging thing? The most encouraging thing, we just talked about him, Kelly Oubre Jr. Been a mm. little bit streaky, but for all the questions that we had around that contract and whether he was going to step up to the plate, and now that DeAndre Ayton's back, um, you know, that's a hell of a three to have, I guess, a hell of a four if you throw Ricky Rubio in there as well uh, and some good supporting cast. So uh, Kelly Oubre, probably, I would answer that one with. Great answer. If he makes another leap into the next year like he did this year, he could be a borderline all-star and really be that second perimeter guy we need. Yeah, and 24, uh, 24 years of age. Like that, It's really not out of this world to think that he has more improvement in him. He and Cam Johnson, not that far apart in age, guys. <laughs> not that far apart. Uh, all right, final question. Going to put you on the spot here. We've asked this many times, but the season keeps changing. Will the Phoenix Suns make the playoffs, David? I'm still going yes. I think they're going to have a good streak here, as I said, by the end of the month, be in the eighth spot, and then you've just got to fight teams off from there and, and be, uh, I guess, in the, the pilot seat. So, yeah, ask me again in, in two episodes' time, and I might have a completely different answer. But for now, I am saying yes, Max. Yeah, it feels a little coin flippy to me. I think I'd go Portland and OKC right now, so I guess I'd slightly say no, but you know, catch me next episode of this podcast after a couple of Suns wins, and I'll probably uh, <laughs> say the opposite. So this is uh, it's uh, touch and go here, David. It really is, but at least we've got something to uh, you know track because at this stage of the season, last season, it was uh, all over already. We're very close to that 19 wins already, Max. We'll probably, fingers crossed, get them here in, in the month of January. I hope so. All right, that's it for us. Please, everybody, rate, review, and subscribe. We always appreciate it. You can follow me, now that I'm back on Twitter again, at MaxMCC11. You can follow David at The Four Point Play. David, anything else? Yeah, we got a couple of reviews. We've been getting a lot of five-star ratings, which I'll thank anyone for who's put those through. But if you put your name to a review, we keep promising to read them out. So uh, DJJDH said it needed the optimism after our last episode. Go Suns. Can't wait to have DA back. I hope you uh, are liking what you've seen from DA so far. And in Australia, uh, Den25282 said, Super insightful. Max and David do a fantastic job of bringing fair, unbiased, yet knowledgeable content on a weekly basis. Sometimes weekly, I suppose, Max. This podcast (laughs) is super insightful as well as being fun and entertaining great segments mixed in with impressive knowledge. So thanks to the two of you guys uh, in either country for throwing us a a five-star review in the last week or so. We very much appreciate it. And uh, I guess wishing 
everyone a happy 2020 here, Max. And if you had a late question or uh, there were a couple that came in that kind of, I guess, got cut off after we put this together here, Max. So uh, re-add us on Twitter and we can uh, talk about it online. Sorry for maybe missing one or two here, Max. Feel free to ask your question in a five-star review. That will definitely answer. <laughs> Great. I can, I can guarantee that. Uh, we... Uh, obviously missed a couple weeks in the past month or so. The holidays have been busy for us. I had a lot of work stuff going on. Mm -hmm. So we're going to try to be a little more consistent going here forward, especially if the Suns can get on a bit of a roll. It'll be easy for us to get going every single week here. So we're going to try. That's all I can tell you guys. I promise that we are trying. Yep. We've got Memphis, Sac, Orlando, and Charlotte probably before the next episode. So get us a few wins there, Suns, and we will promise to be back straight away again next week, Max. Let's go 4-0. Thanks, guys.